Good evening. So we are in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 25. If you want to turn there with me now. And you know, <clears throat> there were a couple of verses that came to my mind while we were singing, and uh, I don't have time to write them down, so I looked them up on my phone. Technology is good for a couple things. The first one here is uh, 1 John 3. Let me look this up here on my Bible app. I just want to make sure I say it right. I know some of you already know what I'm about to read. I'll start at verse one. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he, that's Jesus, the Lord, is pure. I, coming into this passage, I've, I've seen it coming a long ways away. And I've had so many thoughts and so many ideas as to uh, what I was going to share but I'm, I'm already getting ahead of myself. So let me just, let me start with this question here. What are you looking for this year? <laughs> hey, you're getting ahead of me, sister. What are you looking for this year? Peace. What goals do you have for this year? What thoughts and feelings do you have about your life right now? And what about what you see going on in the world right now? Maybe you don't turn on the news. Maybe you flip open the laptop. You swipe across the iPad. You click on the phone. When you see what's going on in the world, in this town, these communities, this state, this country, the world abroad, what thoughts and feelings come to the surface? I wanted so badly to make a lot of this teaching about the prophetic events that are unfolding around us. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's a prophecy update. And I just, I think that's his job, not mine. <laughs> just kidding. It's God's word. I really wanted to, but God kept bringing me back to his word, simple and pure. Just teach the word. Just receive my word. Don't try and read something into it or try and make my word to fit what you want to share. Share my word, Jake. So I'll touch on some of the prophetic things happening in our world. However, I believe he's calling us to look for something else. We need to look beyond what's happening in our life, our country. We need to look beyond even our world. We are people who are so fixed on us. From the moment we are born, we think the world revolves around us. And this culture, more than probably any other time in world history, is so centered on the self. He's calling us not to look to something, but to someone. Not something. 
He wants us, as I've already read from 1 John, he wants us to fix our eyes on him. Just this last Sunday, Les shared this and said it. The promise is Jesus. In him are the promises. Everything that we could ever hope or dream or imagine, all those hopes and dreams are in Jesus. So if you feel anxious tonight, have been feeling anxious, or maybe you're really excited, maybe you wrestle with feeling depressed or even doubtful about what this year and the future ahead looks like, let me share with you what Jesus keeps reminding me of in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And as you can see from the title of the message, we're looking at promise receivers. If you were here a couple Sundays back, you heard me talk on promise receiving. I do not believe that the Lord has called us to make promises. I believe he's called us to receive his promises. If we just do that, the promises will be kept true and they will be realized in our life. He's the creator, not me, not us. He wants to give us his peace. We can't create it or produce it. Some of us are excited about the future. I remember my teens and my 20s especially. I had lots of plans, lots of dreams. Others of us just feel anxious or maybe dreadful even about what might or might not happen. So I want to encourage you to join me in quieting our thoughts. Still the soul. Let the spirit of Jesus teach us. Let him tell us what he's doing. What is the Father up to? Remember what Jesus said over and over. In whose authority do you come? Why do you do what you do? And he kept pointing everyone's attention back to the Father. Why? Because that's where Jesus' attention is. So we need to follow that example. We need to look to Jesus. He's the one that brings us to the Father. And he's the promises of the Father realized for us. So like I said two Sundays ago, he hasn't called us to make or even fulfill promises. Even the promises, I said this a couple weeks ago, even the promises that we make to each other, that God wants us to make, husbands and wives. You do need to fulfill those promises. But even in honoring that promise, the only way to do it is by receiving his promise, believing in his word, trusting in what he says, not just studiously pouring over it, but really owning and believing it personally. He's called us to receive his promises, but in order to do that, we must be quiet. We must incline our ear to hear him. Our hearts need to bend to his understanding. And what his spirit is telling us, that's what we need. Jesus is talking to us and he is telling us, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit has to say. So, I want to ask again, what are you looking for this year? I love the Bible answer from my sister Deb in the back. I hope that's true for all of us. But I believe if we went one-on-one, -on -one, we could start talking about what we hope to see happen in this year. So let's start here in Luke 2:25. Let's just read the passage. Luke 2:25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
a.k.a. Shimon in the Hebrew. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he, that's Simeon, Shimon, took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Shimon blessed them and said to, his, said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. What are you looking for this year? Simeon, and as I already said, Shimon in the Hebrew, had been living his life to one purpose, just one, to see the promised one. In the Hebrew scriptures, this promised one is called the Messiah, Mashiach, and in the New Testament scriptures, he's called the Christ. Shimon's name means hearkening or heard. I gotta tell you, the Spirit of God never ceases to amaze me or make me laugh, because we're in our staff meeting, and Rick starts sharing a little bit with us, one of his nuggets, as he calls it, from what he's gonna share on Sunday. And sure enough, what he's gonna be teaching falls in line with what the Lord's called me to share tonight. I promised I wouldn't say anything about what he's teaching on, so I'm gonna do everything I can to control myself. But hearkening, his name means hearkening or to hear or heard. It comes from another word some of you Bible students might be more familiar with, Shema. The Shema is a very Jewish practice. It's based on Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Hear, Shema, Shimon, to hear and follow. Literally, when we, hear, when we hear the word hear, we think noise goes in and noise goes out. I heard you, Mom. I heard you, Dad. Or Cam and I are talking. Did you hear me? Uh-huh. What did I say? My wife's really good at hearing and regurgitating exactly what I said back to me and not even remembering what it is exactly I said. I'm not as tactful as she is. She's really skilled. That being said, <clears throat> when we look at the word here in Hebrew, it doesn't just mean bringing in noise. It doesn't mean to just bring in information. It means to understand and obey what you're hearing. 
That's God's heart for us. When we open his word, we open it to incline our heart to understand and receive it. We want to understand it so that we can follow it. It's the centerpiece of the daily morning and evening prayer services, the Shema in Judaism, and is considered by some the most essential prayer of all. But I would submit to you, it's not a Jewish thing. It's a godly thing. If you love God, I know this is so simple. If you love God, you will listen and obey his word. Jesus said this in John 13, 17. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. If you do them. Not if you study them. Not if you hear them. If you do them. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will observe my word. You will practice what I teach. Ironically, as important as listening and obeying was and still is to the Jewish people, the Lord said in Jeremiah 5.20, declare this in the house of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah, saying, now hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Ezekiel 12.2, son of man, you live in the midst of the rebellious house, who have eyes to see but do not see, ears to hear but do not hear, for they are a rebellious house. Rebellion and spiritual blindness and deafness seem to be synonymous. Matthew 13, verse 13, Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, 10. He says, therefore, he's speaking to his disciples, I speak to them, the crowds, the people, in parables, because while seeing they do not see, And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. But blessed, Jesus says, are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. Remember what we just read about Shimon. He's looking for someone. He's on the lookout. The Spirit of God has been speaking to him. Israel fell as a nation, not because they didn't have God, not, be, not because they, they didn't read the scriptures even, but because they failed to recognize what he was doing. Why? How could you fail to recognize what God is doing if he's written it in black and white, right here for us to read it and know it? They didn't fall and fail because they didn't have the word or even because they didn't have the ability to hear God, but because they refused to. Les was just talking about this on Sunday. They were foolish in their hearing. Foolish in their hearing. Psalm 107, 17. Fools, because of their rebellious ways and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. And there was something that stood out to me from Sunday's teaching, and I want to 
bring it back to our remembrance here. As a result of what we're reading here and what we've seen happen with Israel, Israel's leaders and their teachers did the opposite of what their Hebrew scriptures commanded and instructed them. Proverbs, book of wisdom, Proverbs 3, 5 teaches, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. What did they do? They leaned on their own understanding. The flip side of this, and I don't know why this never occurred to me, flip the nuance. Maybe you've already thought of this. I've never thought about the concept, the reality of, he says, not to lean on my own understanding. What's the converse of that? Lean on my understanding. To lean on my understanding. In Les's words, fools aren't just stupid, they're rebellious. Rebellious. Rebellion. I, at this point in my life, I'm still amazed with everything that the Jewish people had from what God had given them, when Jesus showed up, very far and few between recognized his coming. And as, as soon as I start to think about that and I go, how could you be so blind? I get a sobering check in my spirit. And he goes, what about you? Are you gonna be ready when I come? Are you gonna recognize? Do you see what's going on? Are you actually hearing my word? Are you understanding and receiving it personally? Is it actually working in your life? Or are you, like generations past, reading it, reciting it, quoting it, and totally being dull to the reality of it? I tried to come up with a bunch of points here, but I really have just one major point, and it's at the end of the teaching. So if you can hang on with me till then, you'll get where I'm going with all this. So a question I wanna to pose to you all again is, whose understanding are you leaning to? Whose ears and eyes are you understanding your world and your life through? Is it through the news channels? Is it through the social media? Is it from your family, your friends? Look, what we listen to and what we watch, what we devote ourselves to listening to and watching reveals the focus of our faith we see far too many brothers and sisters who are wrapped around the axle, tied up in knots about what's happening in our country politically. <coughs> Excuse me. Stressed, worried. <clears throat> then families gather around for Thanksgiving and they argue about what's happening politically in our country. Why? Because of what they're watching and hearing. Because of what I've watched and what I hear. What is the focus of your faith? We see a man here, Shimon. It becomes really clear and evident where his faith was, what he was trusting in. Not just what he knew about, but what he believed in with every fiber of his being. I find something really interesting about Shimon. We don't see him embroiled in the politics of Israel. And there was a lot of it going on back in the day. The Sadducees, the Pharisees. He doesn't seem focused on his financial affairs either. A man at his age, he'd probably be wanting to make sure that all of his affairs are in order. We do see that he was righteous. We read that he was devout, and we see that he was wholly fixed on one goal. One goal. 
He wasn't obsessed with prophetic events. He was faithfully focused on God's promise. There is a difference there. I heard a Chinese proverb recently. <clears throat> it says, if you try and master two things, you will fail, period. It's like, what's the punchline? That's it. There are a lot of us believers, people who I genuinely believe love the Lord, and we are torn in a bunch of different directions. We live secularized lives. And so it's no wonder why so many of us believers in this country are anxious and uptight and stressed and worried. Why? Because we gotta watch this and we gotta look at this and we gotta read this and we gotta know what's going on over here. We got our fingers and like, I picture a little kid with olives. As a little kid, remember, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who are olive lovers like myself, you put an olive on every finger. We got our fingers in everything. How many of us are wholly devoted to the Lord? What are the things, and I'm asking these questions, hoping that they might provoke your heart within you to really consider these things as he's been causing me to consider. What other things are distracting you from hearing and following Jesus with your life? I told you that I'd mentioned some of the prophetic events unfolding currently. <clears throat> I'm just gonna brush over them briefly. Ezekiel 38. Why don't we go ahead and flip there right now? Just to give us a little better idea, some context of what's going on. And this does tie in with the promise, don't worry. I'll start to tie it in here soon enough. In Ezekiel, chapter 38. The word of the Lord, we're starting at verse one. The word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you. O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them splendidly attired, a great company with buckler and shield, all of them wielding swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and put with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer with all of its troops, Beth Togarma from the remote parts of the north with all its troops, many peoples with you. Be prepared and prepare yourself, you and all your companies that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be summoned in the latter years. You will come into the land, the land is a euphemism in Hebrew, speaking specifically of Israel, that is restored from the sword, which we've seen happen. It's been happening whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste, but its people were brought out from the nations and they are living securely, all of them. That's another interesting point here. What just happened in the West Bank? Things aren't settlements anymore. What's happened to the Golan? It belongs to Israel. There are things that we just read that are happening or just happened within the last couple of years. That puts goosebumps on my skin. That's amazing. Verse nine, you will go up, you will come like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land. You and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, it will come about on that day that thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil plan. And you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. 
Again, what's just taken place, place in the West Bank? This, we're starting to recognize this is sovereign land that belongs to Israel. These aren't settlements. They belong there. This is their land. That's outside of the wall that Israel built. Unwalled. Interesting. I will go up against those who are at rest, that live securely, all of them living without walls and having no bars or gates, to capture spoil and to seize plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places which are now inhabited and against the people who are gathered from the nations, who have acquired cattle and goods, who live at the center of the world. I could go on, but I won't, because that's not the main part of our text tonight. I would encourage you to go listen to Rick's teaching on this. But what does that have to do with what we're looking at tonight? Remember, we're looking at God's promises. Ezekiel 38 is another one of the myriad of promises that God's made to Israel and how it affects the rest of us in the world. We've got a number of regions or peoples described here. Keep this in mind. Ezekiel 38 was written some 2,500 years before our time. And it promises a future war that will see the coalition of today's Russia, Iran, Turkey, Libya, and the better part of the Horn of Africa, which comprises Sudan, Ethiopia, Somalia, etc. Notice here, in this coalition, there's not a single Arab nation mentioned. And look at the number one goal in Ezekiel 38. It's not to wipe out Israel. It's to plunder her. It's to take what she has. So a couple, uh, several bullet points here. Russia and Iran, enemies for the last 2,000 plus years. Major enemies, battling over land and resources, are now close allies. Iran's power now covers a contiguous land area that goes from Iran, northern Iran, western Pakistan, all the way to the Mediterranean. If you haven't realized this yet, Iran has basically unfettered access across the whole of the Middle East. And their reign, their, their area of influence butts right up against Israel. We look at the map and we see Iran over here, or from your perspective, Iran over here and Israel's over here. You might as well just put them right next door. That's what's happened. Turkey a once longtime NATO ally of the U.S. and historical opponent to Russia's power over the centuries. Long before America was on the map, Russia and Turkey battled each other for dominance in the region. Now, within the last 20 years, has all of a sudden flipped. Israel. Yeah, by name only are we allies with Turkey. They're buddies with Russia. Turkey is not our friend like they were in the past. Israel, once poor in natural resources, is a major supplier of tech, medical, and agricultural goods to the world. And just recently, I think pretty much everyone in here knows this, recently discovered the world's largest natural gas reserve in the Leviathan gas field, right off their coast. And it dwarfs the Arab oil giants. And it threatens the influence of Russia and Iran's petrocurrency in the world. Russia's lifeblood depends on oil. It gets more interesting here. I think a lot of what I've already shared, you already know. Just before Netanyahu was called back to Israel this last week, after the U.S. made a strike, wiped out Suleiman, Suleimani, Iran's head military commander, 
Guess where Netanyahu was when we made that strike? Greece. Well, what was he doing in Greece? Netanyahu was working out plans to bring their newfound energy source to Europe. Now, what's the implication here? If you don't know this, Russia has had a manipulative stronghold over Europe because Russia maintains a lot of control over the gas and the oil that comes into Europe. So now you have Israel, a major opponent, potential competition to Russia in economy with Europe. It gets, it gets even more interesting here. So far, we've mostly heard about Turkey, Russia, and Iran. But remember, there are other players that are mentioned here in Ezekiel 38. What would you say if I told you Russia, a foreign nation, has been printing Libya's national, national currency for the last several years? Now, we know they've been supplying them guns and whatnot, but we're talking <coughs> a foreign country printing Libya's currency. That's like us going to Canada or Mexico, having them print our money. We hold that stuff under lock and key. What if I told you that as of November 27th, Turkey and Libya concluded maritime agreements creating an exclusive economic zone that extends 200 maritime nautical, I'm sorry, 200 nautical miles into the Mediterranean, which then connects with Turkey's exclusive economic zone, creating yet another contiguous maritime border running right through the Mediterranean. We're staking this claim. Also, Turkey is denying Israel's rights to access European trade with oil. So Turkey and other players <coughs> are looking for ways to try and get a corner on this, this gas field. It's kind of a stretch. So what are they doing? Well, remember, Turkey is in league with Russia. <coughs> Russia depends on oil and gas. Well, what happens when Israel starts edging the Russian bear out of the picture? Not so good. Well, <coughs> I apologize, I'm still getting over a cold. I find it really interesting with what's happened with Soleimani and these other events. <clears throat> we don't hear a lot of talk coming out of Russia. Putin's pretty quiet. But you got Turkey, <coughs> who's tight with Russia. And they're flexing their muscles. And you gotta give me one more minute, because I'm, whew. <coughs> <coughs> Okay, all this to say, <clears throat> Russia and Turkey have their hands all over Libya. There's so much more I could say about the events developing here, <clears throat> but what's the point? Maybe that's why I'm coughing, because God's like, bring it back. <clears throat> What's the point in all this? Why should we care? So, <clears throat> cool. God said this would happen, and we see it happening. Man, this is bad. 
Give me one more minute. <coughs> I don't know. <coughs> Maybe. It's like a tickle in my throat. So, <clears throat> the point. We're looking at prophecy. We're looking at God's promises. This is really neat. It's fascinating. God promises it 2,500 years in advance, and now we're seeing it come to light. Cool. What is the point? <clears throat> Let's move on. <clears throat> Why should this prophecy matter to us? Why should I get excited about a war that, quite frankly, is going to have massively catastrophic repercussions on world powers? Governments, crash economies. If we really look at this realistically, why would we get excited about that? You guys remember 9-11? Remember the housing crash, 08 and 09? That's not fun. <clears throat> I don't think anyone's excited about that. Why? Why do I bring up these prophetic points <clears throat> why, should, why does God put it in his word? Why should it be of any excitement or interest to us? Aside from the fact that God goes, I'm God, here, I'll prove it to you. I'll promise it long before it comes, and then when it comes, you'll know I'm God. Okay, great. <clears throat> what if I told you something horrible was gonna befall your family 10 years before it happened? Would that make you excited? We wouldn't get over-elated, we wouldn't be jumping for joy at the prospect of some doom that's gonna come 10 years down the road. Why do so many of us Christians, and I'm looking over a crowd tonight, knowing that many of us get excited about when we read Ezekiel 38? What we see happening in geopolitics. <clears throat> Why? My interest isn't this huge war. I'd encourage you to go back again and read <clears throat> or listen to Rick's teaching, Ezekiel 36 to 39. But the bottom line is somewhere, either close before or afterward, this has an implication for the church. If we just read Ezekiel 38 and left it at that, I would not be excited. But for all of you prophecy buffs and students, you understand that there's another significant event that's either gonna happen near before or immediately after. Some might say it might happen right in between. The rapture of the church, gone. My interest isn't this huge war. Now, I'm a history major. I've got a minor in political science. Geopolitics is interesting to me. However, my interest isn't what it reveals about the world. My interest is its connection to Jesus. We read that the Holy Spirit here Tying it back to Shimon, we read that the Holy Spirit revealed to Shimon that he would not die until first seeing the promised one. We see all these prophetic events, thank you so much, prophetic promises that God gives leading up to his return. Why do we get excited about prophecy? Because of its connection to Christ. The reason I'm drilling this is because we need to stop Step back and consider <coughs> the purpose of us 
seeking to understand prophecy. Prophecy is important, but we had Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers and leaders pour through the scriptures and they talked about it and they got in huddles and they got fascinated by it and then when God's promise came true, they were blind to it. What is it doing to motivate motivate and guide our lives? Shimon wasn't watching the Roman powers or gauging the political environment of Jewish and local government actors. Remember, he didn't get entangled in what was going on around him. Shimon was listening and following the Holy Spirit. Here's the point. His goal wasn't prophecy. His goal was Jesus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith doesn't come just by prophecy. Revelation 19.10 tells us that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And <coughs> Jesus has to be the focus here. He has to be the goal. When we go and open up the Bible, what are we looking for? When we wake up in the morning and we go about our days, where are we going? What is the point? What are we going towards? What are we looking for this year? What's the goal of my life? I'm not fascinated with Bible prophecy for the sake of Bible prophecy. Knowing the future isn't the point. <coughs> Shimon wasn't excited because God gave him a sneak peek of what was coming. Just to know the future isn't enough. Knowing and aligning myself with the one who holds the future is the point. Matthew 16, 21. Jesus is talking with his disciples. Telling them about what was coming so that they would know. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. He told them that. He promised them. <coughs> he told them what to look for. And yet, what do we see happen? They're surprised by it. <clears throat> what Jesus told them contradicted what Peter understood. Because Peter was looking with his own eyes, not with eyes of faith. He goes on, Matthew 16, 22. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. We were talking about this in staff today. God forbid it literally means God have mercy. The devil disguises him himself as an angel of light. He sounds really good. He sounds really spiritual. This is the Messiah. This can't happen. But Jesus, who is walking in the spirit of God, turns around and tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. What are your interests in your life? <coughs> I said earlier this, <clears throat> this evening, what you watch and what you listen will reveal the focus of your faith. What we bring in is going to determine and shape and mold what our focus is. What is our focus? Peter, like all of us can relate with this, was thinking like a natural man. You see, Peter had heard all his life what the religious leaders had taught about what the Messiah would be like. 
They said that the Messiah would come as a political figure who would rescue, rescue Israel from the Gentile powers and put Israel on the map as the supreme world power. That's true. But Peter, like most others, failed to receive God's promises in humility. They weren't reading God's word in humility, and so they neglected to realize the prophecy of the Messiah when he came the first time. He was promised in Daniel 9, 24 through 26 that he would die. He would be cut off from his people Israel. And we all know Isaiah 53 gives line and verse as to what this Messiah, this servant of God, would have to go through. So Jesus answered in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's an interesting, subtle little play on words here. He tells Peter to get behind him. Why? Jesus was the one that called him to follow him. You follow me. I can tell you so many events in my life where God stirred up passion and excitement in my heart about something. He put the passion. He put the interest in my heart. And then I took that interest and I started to scheme and plan what I thought God wanted me to do. I never thought in a million years I'd be up in the Northwest doing what I'm doing. I thought I was gonna be over in the Middle East. I thought I was gonna be doing a lot of other things than, than what I'm doing currently. God gave me a heart for specific things and I took them and went, okay, God, I'll take it from here. Shimon listened to the Lord, period. He was looking for what God told him. Now, tradition has it that this man was upwards of possibly 100, 106 years old. We're looking at a man named Abram, or Abraham, and God promises, you're gonna have a child. Okay, God, running out of time here. Time is irrelevant for the Lord. I want you to consider what's going on in your life right now. What seem to be the impossible things going on in your life? You know God has called you to do this, X, Y, or Z. You're reading his word and he's called you to live this way. But if you do what he says, how are you gonna take care of this? How are you gonna pay that off? This doesn't make sense. Proverbs 3, 5. Lean not on your own understanding. This man was 106 and God said, I promise you, I'm paraphrasing, he promised Shimon, you will not pass away until you see my Messiah, the anointed one. He was old, old. Our, our world today looks at age, the older you get, like it's a bad thing. There's a temper, a temperament that comes with age. I'm looking over a crowd, mostly of people who are older than me. You know this better than I do. There's no substitution for mileage in your faith walk with the Lord. Peter is impetuous. We get ahead of the Lord. But Jesus says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. God's ways are not ours. There are promises in God's word that he's speaking to us as we heard on Sunday. We're gonna hear again this next Sunday. We've been hearing for the last 16, 17 years 
Are we actually receiving and walking out in those promises with obedience, trusting they'll come to pass? In our relationships with each other, how we operate and conduct ourselves in life at work. Well, I think so far I've been a little convoluted and and, uh, confusing in my teaching. Sorry for the coughing and whatnot. And I've kind of lost my place a number of times, as you probably could tell. But let's pick up here at verse 27. Let's look at verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So, When Joseph and Mary enter the temple, they meet an old man named Shimon. But this was no coincidence. The Lord had orchestrated this appointed time, as we've already seen. Habakkuk 2.3, God says this to the prophet, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. Yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come, it will not delay. Who in your life are you praying for? Maybe it's a spouse, or a child, or a grandchild, or a coworker, or a friend. God has put you in their life and set you here for such a time as this. What has God called you to pray for and to look for? What has God called you to ask him for? And I say this with conviction. There have been far too many times, more than I would like to admit, the things that God has laid on my heart to pray for, and I pray for it for a week. And we're talking about someone's well-being. And because it doesn't get answered like that, I stop. This man was advanced in years. He's older than anybody else in this fellowship here. He'd give uh, Cheryl's uh, grandpa a run for his money. He wouldn't give up. He was convicted of a promise that God gave him, and not convicted in a negative way. He had a promise of peace, and he didn't relent. He didn't give up. Though it tarries, wait for it. It will certainly come. God promises in Zechariah 1.1 that he remembers, he blesses at his appointed time. I want us to keep that in mind as we go through this next year in 2020. I've met and prayed with a number of you about various issues, and some of you know the things that I've had in my life. You know, a week goes by, a month goes by, a year goes by, a decade goes by, and these people that mean so much to us that our heart breaks for, how long can we go on praying? How long do I keep on hoping and waiting Like Shimon, I get excited about prophetic events because it gives me hope about God's promises for my life, for my family, for my friends. Romans 5, 5. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Why was this old man looking for the Messiah? He ought to just stay home and curl up and die. What's the point, man? You're 106. Give it a rest. Let someone else look for him. Why? 
because he had fixed his eyes on God's word. Little W and big W. He heard God's word and he believed it with childlike faith and he kept believing it until God came through on his word. Do you know what God's promises are for your life? Do you know what God's promises are? Because you and I can look at each other and we can all share our stories about the promises and the vows we've made, the New Year's resolutions we come up with, and all the times we fail to complete them. Statistics say that most people making their New Year's resolutions don't make it past the first month. How is your New Year's resolution going so far? The Holy Spirit was with Shimon, and this is important. Verse 25, 26, and 27, it says the Holy Spirit was with him three times. The Lord emphasizes it three times. Shimon had hope because he listened to the Spirit. I find many of us, whether we're following Jesus or not, tending to relate with Habakkuk. When we look at the current state of events, when we look at our family, when we look at the people we work with, when we look at what's happening in Oak Harbor and Anacortes or Washington or America, it's easy after a while to start to lose heart, to lose focus, to lose hope. Turn with me to Habakkuk chapter one, verse one. It's one of the minor prophets. It's before Zephaniah. It's after Nahum. I don't know if that helps you. Habakkuk chapter one, verse one. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Have you guys been keeping track with all the violence that's been taking place just against the Jewish community in this country? Violence seems to have a dramatic uptick lately. Verse three, why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. I find many times we can relate with Habakkuk's heart cry right there. We look at the world around us and we go, Lord, why? What's going on here? When are you gonna do something? Now compare and contrast that with Shimon's heart cry. Shimon's heart cry, what does he say? Now you, Lord, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Compare and contrast the difference here. What's the difference? Habakkuk was focused on the current situation he was living in. He cried out to God. Great first step. Because what he sees through his eyes is, where's the hope? What's going on, Lord? My family, the people I live with, the country I live in is in shambles. There's no justice here. When are things going to get better? Now, Shimon didn't exactly live in perfect times either. 
under the Roman oppression. And there was all kind of corruption and abuse of power among the religious leaders and the elites in the Jewish world. The difference here was Jesus. Shimon had the Spirit of God. Shimon heard the Spirit of God. Shimon trusted in the Spirit of God. But by the time you get to the end of Habakkuk's account in 318, chapter three, verse 18, you read his perspective changes too. Why? Because he listened to and believed what the Spirit of God promised about his future. He heard God's promise. The promises weren't even realized during Habakkuk's lifetime. And yet we see at the end, this man leaping for joy over the promises of God. Shimon prays out to the Lord, now Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. I share tonight's message with a desire, a hope, an intent to encourage those of us who have accepted and believed in and given our lives to follow Jesus. We have a hope for our future. Do we live like we have a hope for our future? I also share tonight's message for anyone by chance who might be hearing who hasn't yet surrendered to Jesus, who might even be listening to this online, wondering what's the point of life. If you're feeling or hearing a voice encouraging you to let go and believe, don't fight it. God's voice is calling out to you. Hebrews 3, 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? The first generation that came out of Egypt didn't receive his promises, not because he didn't prove himself, not because they didn't see God, not because they couldn't audibly hear his voice, but because they chose not to believe. They saw and they heard, but seeing and hearing, they didn't see and they didn't hear. Rebellious heart, verse 18 of Hebrews 3, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Now, this passage in Hebrews 3 was quoted from Psalm 95, verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I love that song by Fernando Ortega. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. Let's pick up here, Luke 2, verse 33. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. Now, put yourself in Joseph and Mary's shoes. 
We just came out of Christmas. We've heard lots of, lots of teachings, and many of us here know all the things that Joseph and Mary experienced before Jesus was even you know, born. Angel coming to them. Shepherds came at Jesus' birth. There's confirmation after confirmation. Can you imagine how Joseph and Mary must have felt as they come to the temple? And here's another confirmation that God's promises were true. That's why I encourage us this year to receive God's promises. His promises have the power to transform our lives if we will listen and obey him. When we hear his voice, are we gonna harden our hearts off to it? Are we gonna doubt it? Are we gonna question it? Or are we gonna go, it's just kind of inconvenient right now? Or I know the Lord wants me to talk to this person, but uh, that's probably just me talking to myself. That's crazy. We know from the scriptures that Shimon's prophecy came true. And we know based on what he said. We know from Matthew 10 that many did fall. Now this is, this is what I find interesting. We know this is God's word because he doesn't sugarcoat it. There's great hope, but he gives it to us 100% unadulterated truth. Mary's gonna be the mother of the Son of God. That's incredible. And Shimon is excited. This old man, I imagine, is probably trying to click his heels as he sees what's happening. And as he blesses them, he says this child is appointed for the fall of many in Israel. Matthew 10, 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the enemies of his household. Jesus' words divide those who love him from those who don't. But don't be sad, because the word rise here in the Greek, look there, look there with me. Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many. Some of you might have a footnote there if you follow it over. Does anyone see what word it is? Resurrection. Philippians 3, 7. But whatever things were gained to me, Paul writes, those I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Further down in Philippians 3, 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. There was a promise. Shimon heard the Holy Spirit because he was a righteous man. And as we've seen, righteousness comes by trusting, not just in what God says, but in who God says he is. That's why Genesis 15, 6 says that God credited Abram's faith as righteousness because Abram trusted in who God is. If what we do is take God's word and our faith is just based off of what's in this book and it has no bearing on our life, our faith is fake. Is the God of Abram, the God of Shimon, the same God that you have a relationship with tonight? 
Are there people in your life, are there things in your life that you're wrestling with that God is speaking you to, to trust him with? And it just doesn't make sense. I can't do that, Lord. I'm gonna bring this one up just because it's an easy one, so I apologize. I'm not a money guy. I hate numbers. I even, I don't know if I wanna say this on recording, but I will. I failed a semester of Algebra two in high school. So I'm not good with math. I'm not good with numbers. That being said, and I've walked this out myself, put your money where your mouth is. How many of us can see our faith, our relationship, our trust in God reflected in our finances? In our relationships, in our finances, there were two people, Jesus points out. There's this Pharisee, and he's dropping the coins so everyone sees how righteous he is. And there's this old poor woman. Nobody cares about, nobody sees. And she has nothing. She barely has enough, the equivalent enough for like a, a meal. And she gives everything she has to the Lord. And Jesus said, God has favor on her because she trusts in who God is. I know he is who he says he is, so I'm gonna trust him with who I am and what I have. Shimon lived his whole life looking, 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 waiting. Hey, mom, dad, where's Grandpa Shimon going? He's going back to the temple. Why? He thinks he's gonna see the Messiah. Crazy. Oh, Grandpa. Was he, though? Are we? Look at verse, uh, <clears throat> actually, I've already jumped ahead of myself here, not surprisingly. Let's look at verse 35. He goes on and says, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus's word cuts and convicts. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And as soon as Shimon was done promising the sword of the Spirit, it came to pass the very next moment. This passage I'm going through with you guys was brought to me by my wife. And it dawned on me when we see recreations of Jesus' birth, people coming to visit the Lord, why don't we ever see Anything about Shimon and Anna? We see lots about the shepherds and the Magi, and even that old crooked Herod gets a cameo. But where are Shimon and Anna? These people astound me, and I'm not doing justice to how it's affected me. But what does Shimon say? It will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And then what happens in verse 36? And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And here it is, at that very moment. When? When Shimon spoke the word of God. When he spoke the word of God, it pierced her heart. And what happened? She began giving thanks to God. She continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. <clears throat> My wife and I were over hanging out with the Shooks 
and we were talking with him, and I don't know how we came on the conversation. I apologize, Joanna, for sharing the story, but not sorry. And she was talking with us about a couple of people who came to their door, knocking, coming to uh, tell them about Jehovah's Witness. Now, what Joanna told me, I had never heard anyone else do. I had never done it. Usually, I duck behind the curtains. I go hide in my room. We do awkward things, don't we? When someone comes to the door and we don't want to answer it, but we don't want them to know that we know, that they know, that we know. <laughs> Joanna opens the door, and she really quickly goes, wait a minute, are you guys Jehovah's Witness? Oh, well, yes, we are. Okay, good, because I want to pray for you. And she puts her hand on their shoulder and just starts to declare the word of God and pray <laughs> over them. And they're like, ah, but they don't leave. And when she's done, they thank her and then they leave. They had been coming to their door on a regular basis. After that, they never came. And after that, the word of God went forth and it will not return void. And I heard that from my sister and I love Joanna, but sometimes she doesn't give her walk with the Lord enough credit. And I'm like, that is inspiring to me. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to lean on our own understanding. We just have to lean on his we just have to receive his word, and if we fill up on his word, it'll come out of our mouths. Don't shut your mouth. Like Jeremiah, I would try and keep my mouth shut, but his word burns in my bones, and I can't help but speak it out. And people didn't like him for it, but he did it anyway. And at the end of the day, Galatians 1.10, who are we seeking to please? If we're here to please men, then we're not servants of God. Shimon probably was deemed by a number of people as crazy. But he didn't care. He wasn't focused on the voices of men. He was focused on the voice of God. And because of that, he got to receive the promise of God first. Can you imagine the privilege it was to hold the Messiah in your arms? And because he simply and boldly proclaimed God's word, boom, it pierced someone else's heart. Domino effect. What happens here? She begins giving thanks to God, verse 38. And she continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. I don't believe I've done a very good job at all tonight teaching God's word. I'll be honest. And I think I've made plenty of my mistakes. But this is where I wanted to land. And as simple as it is, I hope it motivates us and encourages us with the confidence of God's word, his promise to us that we don't have to figure it out we don't have to lean on our own understanding. We have all the hope and all the answers and all the power to be who God's called us to be. Our world today tells women that they need to be loud and proud. Katy Perry's hit song, Roar, is all about empowering women, taking charge. The God of this world has done a number on our society. We've lost what it means to be a man or be a woman. What that means, we don't know. And we're blind to what true wisdom looks like. Wisdom is not revealed in words only, but in lifestyle. I look at Shimon and Anna as two men, and a woman and a man who are full of the wisdom of God because, James 3.13, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom. Truly wise people are gentle people. Verse 17 of James 3, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, 
reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Shimon and Anna weren't out there in the protests. They weren't looking to overthrow the Roman overlords. They weren't out there lobbying for the next high priest. They were listening to the Lord's voice and they had their eyes fixed on him and his promise. Ladies, we need more women like Anna who will devote themselves to patient and persistent prayer day and night. Is Jackie in here? There she is. Jackie, are you having prayer this, this month? What, what day is that? Do you know? The first Saturday? Third Saturday. Ladies, I would encourage you, if you don't have a good reason not to be with Jackie on Saturday morning, join her, because we need more Annas. 1 Timothy 5.5, 5. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. And what do we see her doing? She never left the temple serving night and day with fasties and prayers. And how did God honor that? She got to witness the Messiah when he came. A while back, Rick shared a, I think it's from the Talmud, a Jewish proverb that says, when you see the powers at war, when you see, yeah, the powers at war, look for the footsteps of the Messiah. There were plenty of people who were students of the scriptures back in Shimon and Anna's day, and they were blind to the Messiah because they weren't receiving it in humility. I would encourage us to receive his word in humility and to really seek to understand it personally, to receive it and to pray over it. And that's the other plug. I don't have this scripture here. I gotta look it up on my handy dandy phone, but it's in first, actually I won't look it up on my phone. It's 1 Timothy chapter two. If you wanna go there with me, go ahead. 1 Timothy chapter two, this is for all you guys out there. Talked about the ladies, since we live in an age of equality, I got something for you gentlemen. Paul writes this. 1 Timothy chapter two, I'll start at verse seven. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth, and here it is, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Without wrath, without dissension. When we hear God's word, are we responding in prayer? Their response was to look for and to listen to God. Look for the Lord and listen to his spirit. The God of this age has deceived women. The God of this age has deceived men. We have been deceived. I mentioned this two Sundays back, and we see more women getting into this. <clears throat> more and more are turning to witchcraft and dark spiritual power. Why? Because they're trying to gain control of their world, of their lives. But it's only a false promise. In the end, this power that the world promises is from the evil one and it only manipulates the one who practices it. But true power comes from the spirit of the living God. They heard the spirit of God and they acted on an obedience because they trusted in his word. Because they trusted in it, they received what he had been promising. Wait for it, though it tarries, it will not delay. This is the focus of tonight's teaching. What's the point of God's promises and prophecies? It's not for health, 
It's not for wealth, and it's not to know the future. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If we will receive his promises and heed his prophecy, he'll fill our lives with joy, not doom and dread. He will inspire our prayers with his words. Anything you ask in my name, I will give it to you. Wouldn't you love to ask God for something and him give it to you? It has to be in his name. Well, how do I know what God wants me to pray for? Are you listening to his spirit? And grant us, when we receive his promise and we heed his prophecy, he grants us the power of his grace. And this is what happens when we trust in and receive the promises of God. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. What was Simeon looking for? The consolation of Israel. God's word builds up. God's word encourages us. And God's word comforts us. That's his promise. That's his promise. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. And I, I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Recognizing God's voice and being able to listen and obey him is absolutely necessary to experiencing true life. Jesus called the Pharisees, the ones who supposedly knew the word of God better than anyone else, he called them whitewashed tombs. Jesus said in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because that you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. We don't have a relationship with this. We have a relationship with the one who gave it to us. So I'm gonna end with this if the worship team wants to start making their way up. <clears throat> what or who are you looking for? To my brothers and sisters in Christ, we do not need to be worried about the, the whole world. We don't need to be worried about all these people in the world. We just need to be concerned with loving the one in front of us. Simeon, Simeon built up, Simeon encouraged, and Simeon comforted Joseph and Mary with his words. Why? Because he loved the one that God brought in front of him. And because he received God's word planted in his heart, it came out of his mouth because it was treasured in his heart as paramount. It was number one. And so the other thing that the Lord's been showing me lately is look for those who are looking for redemption. That's what Anna did. It didn't say she went out telling everyone. It said she went out looking and she went out telling everyone who was looking for the redemption. Who in your life is looking for redemption? Who in your life needs comfort? Who in your life has God put in your life that he wants you to speak the word to? Pastor Les said it, we're getting prepared. I don't know what 2020 holds. Um, and I don't know about you, but when he comes, I want him to see, when he calls me, I want him to see that I had faith in him, that I was obeying what he told me, that I loved what he taught me, 
and it was evidenced by the way I lived. I received his promise, and people heard the promise and the hope of God in Jacob Barksdale's life. To those of you who don't have Jesus personally yet, he is calling you to come and receive his promise of life and love. Look for those who are looking for redemption and tell them the good news of Jesus. And if you're hearing this and you've heard about Jesus, you may have grown up in the church and you know about it, but you haven't personally received it, receive it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And um, God, we trust that your word will not return in void. So God, we ask that you would take our humble attempt at receiving your word and sharing your word, and we ask that you would bless the hands and the feet of your people at the Bridge Christian Fellowship, that you would feed the multitudes, the thousands, Lord, in our communities and beyond, that you would, you would feed them through us. And Jesus, that you would inspire, that you would encourage, equip, and, and comfort us with the truth that you have called us to speak your word out, to live it out, and to fervently, without ceasing, praying to you, seeking you, seeking your favor for the lives of those that you've put in our life, that they might come to know you. For those of our brothers and sisters who are hurting, you've put them in our life so that we would pray for them, you're the great physician. You're the healer. You're the savior. You're the Lord. You're the rabbi. You just call us to look to you, to listen to you, to receive your promise, and to share you with everyone who is open and willing to receive. So, Father, we ask that, um, I ask, if there's anyone here that has anything that they feel inspired by you to come pray about, Lord, that they would come. And if there happens to be anyone here who doesn't know you, Jesus, that tonight that would change. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your love, and we thank you for your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.